Hello and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. I'm Alex. I'm Julio, and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Help promote the algorithm and spread the word. You can also find us on SoundCloud to subscribe and review. And don't forget to visit our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Follow us on Twitter at Contrarian Prime. And to like us on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. And if you have the willpower to keep up with our pretentious ramblings, you can follow us individually at Contrarian Alex for myself and at Ovnio for Julio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Now, time for the podcast. All right, and we are recording for uh, not quite Contrarian's Corner yet, but just the beginning of the Road to the Livestream. Hello, and welcome to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. This is a bonus episode that you are listening to in our March, our Road to the Livestream for the Cure. Uh, we will be uh, guesting, or what would be the participating participating we've lending been lending our dubious talent we've been asked to be a part of the live stream for the cure a, a very big honor for us here on the podcast so uh in an effort for that though we got to tighten up our operation here yes we go from like 90 minutes to two hours mm-hmm. on, a, on an average contrarian's episode uh we're gonna aim for an hour and that really that's that's gonna take some doing i it mean is. we've had like two live outings so to speak because we did the the Halloween five commentary, mm-hmm. which was, I mean, we didn't have to worry about the time limit yeah. really. But it was one of those things where like we couldn't cut, we couldn't edit anything out mm-hmm. because then we would be out of sync with the movie. Um, and then we did the the cam episode on my birthday, correct? Which was about an hour, mm-hmm. and that's when audience participation included. <laughs> So I'm not too worried. I think in our uh, Rocky episode, or episode two or three, whatever it was, was like fucking 27 minutes long. What? How did we? Well, maybe, it's maybe a simple the, movie. Exactly, and it's maybe, a good movie, but simple. Maybe that's the trick. Is we picked for our, our two bonus episodes, our uh, the road to the live stream. We picked what we think are our simple, simple movies. movies. We may surprise ourselves. <laughs> find it. So all that to say that this, if this is your first time listening, uh, we'll get into the whole idea of our podcast here momentarily. But uh, more importantly, uh, don't get used to this short, this uh, shorthand format. We usually do a bit of a dip, uh, bigger deep dive, more research, and all that goodness. But again, the reason what's causing all this, as JJ Dillon would say, is the live stream for the Cure, which uh, again we're going to be a part of come the weekend of May 18th. It's running from May 17th to May 19th. And I do believe we have a little uh, schnazzy promo to play for them. I'm going to throw that right here. Justin, can you believe it's almost time? Time for what? The 2019 live stream for The Cure. This is our third year hosting this amazing event with every single cent going toward cancer research. The Cancer Research Institute funds research into immunotherapy to create a future immune to all forms of cancer. And this amazing nonprofit organization is rated over 92% by CharityNavigator.org and puts 88 cents of every dollar toward cancer research. Last year, thanks to an amazing team of collaborators, fans, supporters, and listeners, we raised over $5,000 in 30 hours on the air. And this year, with your help, 
we're going for our biggest goal yet. Tune in May 17th to the 19th on twitch.tv slash epicfilmguys for 40 hours of amazing content as we try to reach $7,500. For more information or to find out how you can become a part of the event, please visit www.livestreamforthecure.com. Together, we can make a difference. So there it is, the live stream for The Cure. Again, uh, Contrarians will be a part of that. Very proud and uh, privileged to be. Um, we just discussed this as we were watching uh, one of the movies that we're going to talk about. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we've – Nick, one of the Epic Film guys, got putting all this together, he, uh, he mentioned that different segments, different podcasters uh, are giving away stuff during their, uh, during their shows, during their segments. So – we felt the pressure. <laughs> the movie we're going to do, and we're going to reveal uh, which movie we're going to do at the end of the second bonus episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the movie that we're going to do right now, I'll give you a hint, it's uh, streaming on Amazon Prime. That doesn't mean it's going to be streaming on Amazon Prime by the time that we get to the live stream. Narrows it down. Yes. Efficiently. <laughs> but uh, so partly to uh, to cover our bases and partly to have something to give away during our segment, I went ahead and ordered the Blu-ray director's cut and theatrical version of uh, the movie we're going to do uh, on the live stream. Uh, so that'll be a prize that we'll give away. And for what it's worth, we'll fucking autograph it. Yeah, we'll yeah. sign it. Uh, maybe we'll give you uh, the original notes we took while watching the movie. I'm all uh, in on that. But uh, So I'm thinking, you know, we'll just... Uh, We'll raffle it among the people that donate during our segment. So that will give you even more of an incentive <laughs> to donate in our segment. Uh, so to do that, you have to go... Uh, uh, to the streaming website. That's twitch.tv slash epicfilmguys. That's where the whole live stream is going to be uh, broadcast. So you just go there, you listen to us, and you donate whenever you feel like it. And if you donate, we write down your name. At the end of the segment, we just, I don't know, randomly pick one of the names out of a hat. We'll download that app that turns a wheel. and Or we'll just write anyone's names down and Julio will take my hand and spin it around. That sounds a lot more fun. We'll take a picture. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, and then you'll be the lucky winner of a Contrarian's autographed uh, Blu-ray copy of that movie that can't be announced yet, but will be announced shortly. So moving on to the episode at hand. Uh, again, this is the Contrarian's. We go by the uh, moniker, not moniker, excuse me, the mantra, uh, we're right, you're wrong. What we do here on the Contrarian's is we like to say is rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. So we find a movie that's ranked very highly. Uh, often referred to as fresh, and then we uh, make a case for it to be rotten, and vice versa. So for these two bonus episodes, we tried to find a a cream of the crop and the bottom of the barrel, in that we're starting here with the highly ranked, 98%, nearly perfect, by the Rotten Tomatoes metric, African Queen from 1951, starring uh, Miss Catherine Hepburn and uh, Sir Humphrey Bogart. Sir Sir Bogey. Worth noting, there was it, it was perfect when we picked it. It was exactly at a hundred percent, and then somehow a negative review sneaked in. Someone got pissed. <laughs> they heard. <laughs> they wanted to sabotage our our bonus episode. Doesn't matter. It still works. We're still gonna rage again. That ninety eight ninety eight percent, and then uh, that's on Contrarian's Corner. Second half of the show is real talk, where we tell you how we really feel. Yeah. So you get both sides of the the equation here. Sometimes we'll agree with. How we uh, express our emotion in the first, and sometimes we'll differ greatly. Uh, case in point, making a positive case for Paul Blart Mall Cop is not an easy thing to do. 
Much like trying to make Pulp Fiction sound bad is not easy to do, but that's why we're here. We do the dirty work. Um, now, we usually open Contrarian's Corner with a few quotes from Rotten Tomatoes' website, just kind of to set to the table, set the table, take the temperature. Um, so I got three quotes about the African queen. John G. Puccio from Movie Metropolis says, a more unorthodox adventure story and a more unconventional romantic comedy you couldn't imagine. We've done John G. Puccio before. Mm-hmm. Bob Bloom from Journal and Career from Lafayette, Indiana, says, Bogey and Hepburn, a dynamic duo, a love story, adventure story, and comedy, all rolled into one rollicking and perilous river ride. You never get tired watching it. And finally, Lindy West from The Stranger, Seattle, Washington, says, This movie is in the DNA of rom-coms and body cop comedies and fish-out-of-water tales and Indiana Jones. He bickers and fights Germans, too. Plus, Dirt Beard. <laughs> I thought that was his real beard. It was dirty. I mean, yes, but there's, like, Dirt Beard and there's Dirty Beard. That's fair. So, getting into it here, the uh, I was particularly tickled by both the IMDb and Google synopsis. Synopsis? Synopsis? Synopsis. <laughs> Is that a bit? I'm just trying to... No, it's not. I was just trying to... I couldn't speak. The synopsis... Featured on Google and IMDb. IMDb said, In Africa during World War One, a gin-swilling riverboat captain is persuaded by a straight-laced missionary to use his boat to attack an enemy warship. And then Google, uh, more hilariously, After religious spinsters, Catherine Hepburn, missionary brother, is killed in World War One Africa, dissolute steamer captain Humphrey Bogart offers her safe passage. She is not satisfied, so she persuades him to destroy a German gunboat. The two spend most of the time fighting with each other rather than the Germans. <laughs> time alone on the river leads to love. Uh, I don't know. I, I was hoping that the Google version, because you started with the spinster, so I was like, okay, that's great that uh, IMDb was going to, tell you the story from the point of view of Bogart mm-hmm. and Google was going to tell you the story from the point of view of uh, <laughs> Catherine Hepburn because I do feel this movie has a bit of an identity crisis mm-hmm. and I, I was having trouble reading it. I, I don't know what Houston wanted, John Houston, the director, um, because on one end, you can read it as the story of this uh, horny sailor that kind of Drunk. Tries, yeah, a drunk that tries to take advantage of this uh, missionary woman that's just alone and possibly kind of, British. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and kind of underestimates the lengths at which he's gonna have to go to 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 score with her. Yeah, or you read it as this manipulative woman with a death wish taking advantage of this horny, lonely sailor that just wants some company, and well, he he will go on this suicide mission because what else is he gonna do? Uh, either of those movies would be really interesting, but we don't get either of those. <laughs> Somehow, John Huston meshes it all into just a really bland romantic comedy. It's not even that funny. It's not. The African Queen begins, before we get to any of this river madness, it begins uh, with a chaotic Methodist service as our lead female role, Catherine Hepburn, plays Rose Sayer. And her brother Samuel Sayer, played by Robert Morley, who I did appreciate, has a character name but still gets buried in the introduction credits. It was uh, Robert Morley as the brother. But he gets the end credit. So it's – what gives? Are we – I guess they respect the, ca- I the actor's Morley name. I guess Morley and Houston got in a fight after rap. <laughs> 
It, from what I read, a lot of people wanted to fight uh, Houston during this. Uh, but it's just chaotic service when they're trying to uh, teach these uh, tribes people of Africa how to sing fucking Methodist hymns. And it's just, it ain't working, man. It doesn't feel like the a necessary building block for them to teach them about religion. No. You know, it's like, and it's not like these people are not familiar with music. It's just that you're trying to make them sing in English, which is not their language. They don't even know what they're saying. They're, they, I couldn't, again, I don't know what the deal is with this movie, uh, the identity crisis mentioned, because I couldn't tell if it was meant to make fun of the missionaries or if it's meant to make fun of the, of the Aboriginal people there. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, look, they're a lost cause. Or, wow, look, the missionaries are so dumb. They don't even realize that they're wasting their time here. It's not clear off the bat, uh, but if you're curious where the hell the African queen name comes in, it's um, quickly comes a calling, a roaring, I should say, as it's a steamboat mail delivery system headed by Captain Charles Allnut, played by, of course, Humphrey Bogart, interrupts this sermon that's going on, and then the tribespeople just run out of the church because he's just like throwing cigars out willy-nilly. And they're wrestling over those, and Catherine Hepburn right away is not impressed by this behavior. Um, did you catch the fact that Bogart is supposed to be Canadian in this movie? He says it at one point, yeah, but then like at the end of the movie, he's arguing how he's British, and it's I don't buy either of those things. <laughs> he's Bogart. He's yeah. he's a nation unto his own. <laughs> yeah, like he doesn't say a one time in it. it <laughs> no. In his. We come down from Canada. And it's like, fuck you. You're not from Canada. What part? I think he has the nerve to call himself a Canuck at some point. <laughs> but yeah, from fucking Ontario. Hugh a lot Jackman. Of people like Humphrey Bogart up that way. Hugh Jackman is more Canadian when he's playing Wolverine than, than Bogart is right now. So we cut from this church sermon gone awry to a scene of very misplaced toilet humor in 1951 in which uh, Sam and Rose have Charlie back to their little hut and she's making tea and bread and butter. This scene goes on for fucking ever. And the joke is that Humphrey Bogart's got bubble gut and his, <laughs> his stomach's turning. It never pays off too, because no. I thought that maybe they were setting this up to where later in the movie, they're deep into the German base and then his stomach starts to grumble and that's how they get discovered or something. Yes. A la no. Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> what? Metal Gear Solid 3, excuse me. If you don't eat in the game, your stomach will rumble, and if you're around a guard, it'll call it'll call attention to you. Oh, and there's no no British woman that goes like, have some pound cake. <laughs> Hideo Kojima watched this movie and said, fuck that, I'm changing that. Uh, and yeah, the brother keeps looking at him with just utter dismay and disgust, but won't kick him out of his hut. He's, uh, he thinks he's like lesser than because he has a stomach ache. Yeah, well, if anything, he's the main thing, even more so than the lack of a Canadian accent, uh, that I noticed was that he is fucking filthy. And it's he's a just, greasy man. But he's surrounded by water. It's just, it's such a weird contradiction. You're a sailor and he's not doing like hard labor. When he's, he's the postman. It's more like, I mean, I don't know. You can just almost smell him through the, through the screen. But so I thought that he was reacting to that. The payoff of the scene is him leaving. And then he drops, Oh, by the way, world war one's <laughs> happening. What? Don't you have more information than that? Not that I can recall. There's some countries, they're little countries, and then there's Germany. Yeah, and the UK or Britain is fighting with them. 
at this point, when Rose is very concerned, I, I keep trying to remind myself that she's supposed to be British, but it's just Catherine Hepburn doing Catherine Hepburn. She's Catherine Hepburn the way that Bogart is Bogart. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the other guy is the brother. You can but... slap a label on him, but they're just going to be an island of themselves. They shine through. Yeah. <laughs> Tea and crumpets, have you? <laughs> uh, the Germans show up at the local village, um, the African village that they're in. They burn all the huts, all the, the church, everything to the ground. Um, they give Sam and Rose the runaround as to what's going on. And... They really don't threaten them, per se. I know one of them pushes them down, but it's basically just like, we're just going to take everything you have. You can stay here if you want. Yeah. Uh, it's a strip mining. It's really... It's, I know it's... When was this movie made? Like the 40s? 1951. 50s, early 50s. So, once again, we found ourselves in that quagmire of, well, I'm spoiled by special effects and stunt scenes of you know the 21st century. But that's such a weak fight scene between the brother and the soldiers. Yeah. Kind of like basically it amounts to them pushing him to the ground. And then that causes him to mentally break down. It gives die. him like a stroke <laughs> of some sort. Because, yeah, the next scene he's having a hard time keeping anything together. And he's on the verge of speaking in tongue. And uh, she says, like, we can't grow anything here in Africa. And he's like, Africa? He's regressed mentally. I think just the, the lack of Canadian accent from Bogart just <laughs> fucked him up. Um, I, I mean, I was... it is a lot to handle. You're told that World War One is happening in one day, and then the German, <laughs> Germans storm your village. Uh, yeah, they, they. I was glad to see him go. I don't. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean, but really, this movie is it's about Hepburn and Bogey, and this guy. I know he was trying. Listen, but... Robert Morley wasn't on the poster for this movie, so I wasn't expecting him to make it too long. I knew the movie wasn't going to start properly until he was brother Jar Jar. was out of the way. He wasn't in episode four, so I knew he wasn't making it the whole way. <laughs> uh, so it does come down to our dynamic duo of uh, Catherine Hepburn and Humphrey Bogart, and he shows up. Charlie, that is Allnut, Mister Allnut. Shows up with just My tremendous God. bedside manner and just basically, <laughs> your brother's dead? How long ago? Better get him below the ground before he starts to stink to the high heavens. <laughs> Isn't that charming? <laughs> yeah, and he, I don't even think, I think he says one thing like, pardon my shrewdness or something and then Catherine Hepburn doesn't even have time to mourn so then they bury him and as soon as the dirt is like the last shovel patch is settled well we better get out of here and so so here is where, where you know the the choose your own adventure of how you read this movie begins really because this is where you have to decide who's manipulating who uh it's is Bogart because Bogart is the one that brings it up who says listen i have the boat i have room for you we can go hide in an island and wait the war out wait it out <laughs> Compl there's no way you can't do that even in 1951 he had enough fucking gin to last the, the winter and more <laughs> oh, so so his plan was really like let's go over there and we'll just drink ourselves to death <laughs> uh, he was nick cage and she was elizabeth <laughs> shoe uh, so that's one way of of reading it and then the other one was Catherine Heber notices that he likes her, and she already makes up her mind. Okay, we're we're gonna go on this suicide mission, and and takes him up on his offer because she knows that once they're alone at sea, she has the power because mm -hmm. she really she has what he really wants, and that comes to fruition. Right? Did you read it one way or the other as you were watching it? Uh, 
not until we get a little bit further into it. Not until the the shot of uh, Bogart's erection. So about two bullet points on my notes from now, I have just in caps, why is Charlie doing this? Because <laughs> it makes no sense. Like, there's nothing in it for him except Listen, companionship. You're a man. He's a man. I'm a man. We know why he's We've doing it. We've seen Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> yes. Uh so they take off. He just wanted to get, he wants to get the fuck out of there. So it starts off with him just wanting to save his own ass. And then it becomes a tale of a man and a woman. Um, he explains that the Germans want the African queen. Uh, I, I was trying to keep up with it, like the mechanisms within it, but also he has all that explosive. Yeah. And... The supplies. And cause he, he was also visiting like a mining colony or something. So that's why he has all that stuff there. And he knows that they know of the African queen, which really, I, it's kind of like the millennium Falcon where it just, it, it seems like its reputation is much bigger than the, what I think the vessel yeah, the, really the is. The ego around it is a lot bigger. It's it's the local band that thinks they can sell out an arena type thing. Um, but onto the water we go, uh, and again, this is where Bogart Bogey explains the whole plan for what's what's going down and what he wants to do is just fucking get to an island and just lay low. And then Catherine Hepburn calls for blood. <laughs> She's angry that uh, the Germans, because of them, her brother's dead. And uh, now's the time to address it, because this is a scene where the Mr. Allnut comes into play. A we lot. Did, we did Pulp Fiction, and we uh, read the trivia about, you know, I think fuck was said a record amount of times in that movie. I can't think of any other movie that says Mr. Allnut more than African Queen. And, you know, I just see Catherine Hepburn doing vocal exercises in the mirror to that. <laughs> Mr. Allnut. Well, it's not even just Mr. Olnit, it's the response, because Bogey always goes, yes, miss. Except for the one part where he's like, oh, I'm still here, not much place to go on a 30-foot boat. That that statement should have been the end of it. Yes. After he says that, she should have been like, oh, I'm being silly, and then we don't hear Mr. Olnit ever again. She wants blood. She looks at the oxygen tanks on board, and basically she surmises that torpedoes can be crafted from this. So... Never would have thought that a missionary would be that crafty about war power. Yeah, I don't know where she learned all this, but what she wants to do, the big German boat circling the uh, the area in Africa specifically is the Queen Louise. Uh, and she outlines a plan going down the Yolanga River. I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that. Um, and Charlie says, no, it's certain death. We're not going to do it. But then, uh, to your point, he remembers that she's a woman and that he could curry up some favor by doing this. That's that's the So that's the reading of him as an innocent man that gets manipulated due to his base instincts. Mm-hmm. But there's also the reading that he's just playing it up. And he's like, oh, sure, we can do this because he knows that once they're out at sea, then he can he can pounce. Yeah. Or that, it, yeah, he'll he'll earn her favor over. I don't think either, well, it's clear Catherine Hepburn, she just wants revenge. So neither of them are motivated by good moral things. Right. I just I just wish that they were, though, <laughs> because then the, the, the movie would be more interesting. Down the river we go. Shortly into the voyage, uh, Mr. Allnut busts out one of his trademark bottles of gin. And then they play like this ominous Halloween music when the bottle goes into uh, Rose's face and it's like, she seems so fucking aghast at the idea of it. And uh, man, Bogey ain't fucking around, puts his glass in the fucking Ulganan River, uh, Ulangan River, 
and just pulls out some dirty brown fucking um, San Quentin water and then just drops some gin in it and downs the whole thing. Um, it's uh, it's one of the many plot threads that the movie kind of drops. The fact that she is trapped in this boat with a with an alcoholic that should be like a feature length plot. Yeah, but no, it basically it, the way it's resolved is she just she just throws the booze away, and then that's it. He never you never see Bogey like having like the, the shakes. Yeah, and it's not you know I just made a walk the line reference. You don't see that the shakes or the you know infuriated guy needing a kick who throws the woman against the wall it's he's he's just all right a little he, bit of sunshine he, he has the one drunk uh drunk scene uh where bogey just it's a, it's a surprise that the boat's still floating after that scene because he chews everything <laughs> all the scenery uh but he just doesn't want talking about his mom yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're like, you're a mean woman. My mom would have said that you were mean, and and he just basically, now that they're into the mission, he he just can't believe that she still wants to do it. Putting catching us up to this drunken outrage. Uh, in between that and what we just mentioned, is we do find out that uh, Charlie's Canadian. He came to work on a bridge, and somehow came to be the captain of the uh, African Queen. Uh, and then we get a sequence of, I guess, comedic vignettes of them bathing uh they're not looking at each other and god people back in those days must have just smelt god awful because they bathe in like their full underwear and then they come back and they put the same clothes on yeah as someone who in that situation would not really give a shit about anyone seeing me naked i it was just watching it just really upset disappointed in humphrey bogart specifically uh, a rainstorm comes along, and then we learn that Charles here is a fucking psychopath because it shows him sleeping in his hat. That, that to me, was the weirdest part of the entire movie. He's sleeping in his hat on the deck, just starts getting rained on, and then he tries to go into this makeshift tent that he crafted for Rose, and, of course, she's morally Appalled. outraged at his... Uh, he doesn't even try to get fresh with her. He just tries to go in there to not be cold, and He's she's like, soaking get wet. the fuck out. <laughs> You goddamn mother canucker. <laughs> but it's, yeah. it, it's like like when you're putting the dog out. You're just like, no, you stay out there. She kicked him in the ass on the way out. But this all catches us up to what we're mentioning, where Charlie hits his drunken low of, uh, I think this is where it all sets in on him, that, hey, I'm going to probably die, and for what? <laughs> and, you know, Rose has this whole taste of danger, and she's really starting to get off on this. And he he's just like, nope, I'm not going to do it. I don't want to do it. You're a mean woman. I'm not crazy, you know, and this is the, I need my pain. <laughs> the one, I, I guess if this movie has an Oscar clip and I think Bogart won an Oscar for this one, uh, it was probably his drunk rant, his drunken rant uh, against uh, Catherine Hepburn. The next morning, Hepburn, as you mentioned, uh, has poured all the booze into the old, I'm just going to say the river. I can't fucking pronounce it. I, I tried several times, but it ain't happening. Pours all the booze in there. Uh, and instead of saving this glass for anything that could potentially be useful, she just fucking heave hose it into the, the river. You know, crocodile eat it. Who who fucking knows? But Charlie sobers up here. You can tell it's that level of hangover where you're immobile because he wakes up and he looks. He's like, no, don't. And then he tries to move and he's like, not worth it. <laughs> Uh, he does sober up eventually. He shaves. He tries to be nice. And Catherine Hepburn's plan, you know, 
personally mine one of the worst games you can play is the the silent treatment yeah Not while re- reading the bible yeah so fucking holier than thou i could imagine being so pissed off in this and but then bogart forgets where they are and starts yelling and then he riles up all the local wildlife so we hear like giraffes and hippos and monkeys going awry and bogart like I don't know what they did for this, but he looks off camera like they made a large clatter in the background and he didn't know what the fuck was going on. <laughs> oh, that's right. We're in Africa. That was Houston just moving his arm like an elephant trunk. <laughs> <laughs> Two trash can lids. <laughs> but this is where he gets pissed off and says, we're not fucking going. And I don't remember him ever promising, but Catherine Hepburn keeps relying on this. But you promise. Yeah, he kind of... I mean, he didn't say no. So I, I think that, you know, there's a lot of, uh, it's the classic uh, new couple miscommunication where you think you know the other person so well that you you take some stuff for granted and then down the line you realize that you were both uh, saying completely different things. Mm-hmm. So Bogart was saying, well, let's just let's just take it for a spin. Uh, and whereas uh, Catherine Hepburn was saying, uh, let's go. Trash this, uh, crash this boat into a, a bigger boat and yeah. die. That's what I'm saying. The whole time, their plan isn't outlined until there's like fucking 15 minutes left in the movie. So this entire time, we're led to believe that they're just on a kamikaze mission. <laughs> yes. That they're going to get there and Catherine Hepburn's going to scream, Allah Akbar, and then fucking <laughs> pivot or uh, patrol this fucking boat into the other boat. And it's like, your brother was not so cool. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's perfectly, especially because at some point she gets to. Uh, they should have be... brought Morley along. Like he should have made it long enough in the movie to get eaten by a crocodile. <laughs> Give us a really good set piece. Yeah, like he's so entranced and scarred by seeing the Germans, but he's still on the boat. Has a glass of gin, falls overboard, and then the crocs <laughs> just swarm him. That's what causes Hepburn to just throw away the booze. It's like no more, <laughs> never again. This leads to bad things. Uh. They're moving up the river, and I do have here in my notes, I just had mentioned crocodiles. That's a personal thing. If I see fucking crocodiles, I am turning around as fast as possible. The most unevolved species in the history of the world that have just been fundamental killing machines since they were first put on this goddamn planet. And they see him in Catherine Hepburn's just like, ha, ah, look at the green doggy. <laughs> She seems pretty excited by by everything that's going on. The uh, you know early on in the movie, in, almost to discourage her, Bogey lists a bunch of things that that they're gonna like. You know the they're the the challenges, the tests uh, that Indy has to go through in order to recover the <laughs> the Holy Grail. He's like, we're gonna have to go through this base where they have guns, and then we have to go through the rapids, and then you know of course you have to get through the the big ship, the Louisa, and. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's. I think that he oversells it because when the movie finally gets there and we we see them get through these things, it's like, wow, that was not that hard. Yeah, <laughs> that's. I mean, two completely unprepared civilians basically managed to get through through German defenses like nothing. Yeah, and after the crocodiles, that's what exactly what you're saying. They they ride through. My understanding ge- uh, geographically is the part of the river that. Uh, goes through Germany, and that's why they're posted up there. And there's like fucking a dozen members of the German military shooting at them at this fucking boat that's 30 feet long, and they can't hit either of them. They spend five minutes arguing about who's going to take the shot. Yeah. (laughs) You take the shot. 
And then the one fucking doofus who finally lines it up is about to kill Humphrey Bogart. The sun gets in his eyes. That's why they fucking lost both the wars. Jesus. Uh, but bad to worse. The allies figured out they need to, to fight at sunrise. <laughs> the sun will always blind them. Things go from bad to worse. They do escape the Germans, but... Uh, as soon as they do, you hear, like, the waterfall cascading. and Oh, no. And then, you know, like you said, we're, um, spoiled, we're spoiled with the enhancement of special effects and whatnot. But it literally cuts to, like, a toy going down the drain in his bathtub. Uh, it's the worst green screen whenever you have the close-ups of Bogart and, and Hepburn. And it's just... And Houston off-camera with just buckets of water <laughs> throwing him at him. Uh, and yet, you know what? That doesn't look anywhere near as fake as... When they finally kiss. <laughs> Doesn't look as forced. Yeah. Because they do survive going down the rock patch and uh, Humphrey Bogart grabs Catherine Hepburn, takes her hat and throws it in the air like a mortarboard at a college. And then uh, they embrace and kiss. And it is, <laughs> it's not attractive. Well, it's Denise not even... Richards and Nev Campbell, it is not. Well, it's not even, I know it's the, it's the, it's the 50s, but... It amounts to just seeing the back of, of Bogart's head. And there's no, you know, you there's no passion. Oh, okay, so you see the beginning of it, and then he turns it so that all you see is his head. Uh, so, honestly, it just doesn't even look like they're kissing. And if they are kissing, it's kind of gross. Because yeah. <laughs> <they're> just Because <laughs> we've already come accustomed to, like, these stinky people <laughs> that are really greasy and dirty and... Well, it's like it also breaks the spell because, okay, if they're really, you know, you're not going to share a kiss at that chaste no. in that situation. You're just, you just you just survived, you know, the Germans shooting at you and the rapids and you don't know you might die being eaten by a crocodile in the next hour. So you're going to have a little more passion than that. So we launch into, I want to say about a 30 to 40 minute segment of the film that is... It's not that long. It's probably 20 or 30 minutes, but it is just them going down the river and different things of inconsequence happen, non-consequence. Uh, there's a horrible green screen of Catherine Hepburn clapping as Humphrey Bogart does impressions of animals. Fairly certain Bogey didn't know he was being filmed, just <laughs> drunk and passing the time in uh, Africa. Uh, then they, of course, after the laughter subsides, they go down a waterfall and the boat's just fucked. And... It basically pulls over these reeds, and then they just take turns going underwater and trying to fix this boat. This is where we get the awesome shot of uh, the passion of the Bogart, where uh, he has to get out of the boat and just pull it. Yes. And, and so it's like a close-up of Bogart, shirtless, pulling on the boat. Dying for the sins of man. <laughs> yeah. It's like all he wanted to do was get laid, and now he's on this crazy adventure. I've gone through more. Uh, then we get our mosquito attack. They're going through the fucking Congo. Uh, not literally, but the it's another bout of comical green screen. It's kind of like Eight-Legged Freaks, the original, where they like surplant the giant spider. And I have just in my notes here, Charlie, Charlie. Oh, yeah, because by now, because, because they're a couple. Now they're boyfriend and girlfriend. So. They're Charlie and Rosie now. Yeah, except that every now and then she'll call him Deer, which is also kind of gross. <laughs> Yeah. It just doesn't work, and I think it doesn't work because they have no chemistry. No. And Catherine Hepburn, again, to me, was, like, just born old. So I can't see her as a person that has any sexual or romantic desires at all. And when she does 
express those, it just really makes me uncomfortable. When she calls him dear, it's more like she's his mom. Yes, exactly, like a librarian. And, and, and I mean, Bogart acts like a child most of the movie, so it doesn't help. I guess that's it. He's so boyish, and she is so sternly... Matronly. Matronly. Uh, Boat gets stuck in the reeds. They're trying to pull it out or push it out. Um, Charlie comes back on board, and uh, Mr. Allnut's covered in leeches. So Rosie, of course, has to help him out. It's just all, like, you could have easily cut 40 minutes out of this movie. I mean, once they kiss... Just show us the the German boat. Yes. There's no need for all this bullshit. They're already bonded. You know, it's not like the the next level. You're not going to see him fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just cut to the chase. So they clear the reeds and lo and behold, the Luis in open waters. They see it there, plain as day. Uh, So they go back to the reeds, actually, because they need to figure out what the fuck they're doing. They hide out. They craft the torpedoes. They're uh, cleaning the suicidal vessel, as I have written here. And out of nowhere, the Canadian says, yeah, we're representing the Royal Navy. <laughs> they hang the Union Jack from the fucking boat. They argue about who's going to go, and they eventually uh, settle on we'll both go. So once they actually go in at night to try to pull this whole fucking shebang off, it, it, wouldn't you know it, there's a massive rainstorm. Do you think that at, at some point, again, this is a missed opportunity because the movie doesn't really go there, but I would have loved to see this make it the movie from the movie to make it clear that they never neither of them thought they was going to get this far Mm-mm. you know now they're there they're at the point where they're basically going to die destroying this boat and it's just like well we may we made out <laughs> <laughs> it's serious now i can't back out of it so they have to find refuge and uh the storm is so bad that Charlie thinks he lost Rose. The audience, we think we lost Rose. So Charlie's captured, taken aboard Luis, interrogated by the Germans. He claims to be British, even though he's as British as I am fucking Scottish. And uh, You're not British, you're Bogart. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You. Casablanca. <laughs> oh, Casablanca 4. <laughs> he's sentenced to hanging, immediately to be carried out. And uh, while he's getting taken to the gallows, the another rowboat comes in, and they had found Rosie. Like a goddamn idiot, <laughs> fucking Humphrey Bogart. It's like, Rosie, Rosie. I don't know that woman. I thought it was someone else. Fucking idiot. I and, thought it was the other British woman <laughs> swimming around. I thought it was the other woman lost at sea last night in this specific area. <laughs> so, Rosie- And by the way, we're not trying to destroy this boat. <laughs> Yeah, and then Rosie comes aboard and says, fuck that, she's coming clean. She's just saying, hey, we came here to fucking blow this boat up. We were doing this out of revenge. And uh, one thing I did pop for here is Humphrey Bogart goes, she's touched, you know, fever. <laughs> just reminded me like a Futurama, like, sorry, your wife's hysterical, like that type of thing. She lays out the whole plan and brings in um, Charlie to explain how he made the torpedoes, and the Germans seem just... Absolutely gobsmacked at the idea that this fucking greasy man could do this. I I'm right there with them. I I can't believe that this crazy plan has almost worked up till now. Yeah, and the whole point is too. Unless the end of the movie didn't happen, I would have thought like what he was explaining to make those torpedoes is like what the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? It's it would have been one of those things where like they they actually the Germans never stopped him and they would just hit the boat and go clunk. <laughs> Or it'd be like one of those things you get when you're a little kid, the little snakes that just... (laughs) Just ash. Yeah, exactly. 
So they're going to the gallows. They're both going to be hung. Old uh, bogey requests one last uh, wish before death, and that's that they're married. You can do that as the captain of their ship. <laughs> and to his credit, whoever homeboy here was, they got to play the twirled mustache German. I now pronounce you man and wife. Proceed with the execution. That's <laughs> the closest we get to giving any sort of humanity to the Germans. Yes. This is pre-Nazi Germans. I mean, you know, they still had a heart. They lower their necks into the nooses, but these goddamn idiots, much like the the captain of the Titanic, aren't even watching where they're going. There's this torn asunder boat that's sticking out of the water that has tube torpedoes hanging out of it. So naturally, they run right into it, and it blows up, puts a massive hole in the boat. And the boat, in record time, is like capsizing and overturning. Everyone dies. Except for the people that are not German. Did you see the one guy in the German side that threw the cat overboard? Yes. Yeah. Don't they rescue the cat? Oh, I don't know. I, I thought, no. Oh, I saw the cat being thrown overboard, and I think I was thinking, oh, they're going to rescue him. A German cat. <laughs> I'll kill it, I will. Yeah, so they make it overboard, and <laughs> I have damn fools run into the African queen. A cat is thrown overboard. Charlie and Rosie swim away a married couple. The end. But we do get the um, Hey Clarence, way to go moment of Humphrey Bogart finding the, the rubble of the African queen. Yes. Oh, would you look at that? <laughs> All that's missing is a ding ling ling. Uh, he calls old girl, uh, he calls her old girl, right? Uh, yeah, burn his, he ain't uh, wrong. <laughs> Much like she girl. wouldn't be wrong if he called or she called him old man. Right. <laughs> way to go, old girl. We did it. And Houston said, cut. And Bogart said, I'm getting the fuck out of here. <laughs> Those leeches were real. He actually wanted them to be, but Bogart refused. <laughs> I will I will stop drinking for a week, but that's as far as I go with my commitment to this picture. No shit. With fucking how much he was drinking, they probably leech was what latched on and then just fallen off, <laughs> shriveled up and died. <laughs> Um, I think I think we've done our duty here, our contrarian's duty. We can move on to real talk. Let's take this voyage a little bit further down the river. All right. So, no intermission, because fuck it, fuck it. We're we're running the clock here. All right. So, like I said earlier, deep dive wasn't as intensive, but I did want to go through a few quick things uh, about the African Queen. Again, it is at a staggering ninety-eight percent. On the Rotten Tomatoes, it was directed by John Huston, who, for me personally, most notable for directing Marilyn Monroe and Clark Gable's final film, The Misfits. Um, the score was fucking awesome, and it was by Alan Gray, and this was the last movie he ever did the music for. I disagree, sir. <laughs> oh, shit. I didn't like the score. I, I, I had uh, flashbacks to when we watched Jaws, and the music was a little too jaunty for uh, <laughs> for the stuff that was happening on screen. Christmas release, December 26, 1951. Uh, budget of $1 million, Box office return of over $10 million. So, you know, back in those days, that was a little decent bit of coin. Uh, the trivia pieces that I did enjoy reading were... Uh, sources claim that everyone in the cast and crew got sick except Humphrey Bogart and John Houston, who said they avoided illness by essentially living on imported scotch whiskey. Bogart later said, all I ate was baked beans, canned asparagus, and scotch whiskey. Whenever a fly bit Houston or me, it dropped dead. I'm sure he wasn't kidding. No, yeah, it it sounds like it was fucking awful. Like, um, 
apparently Catherine Hepburn really liked filming in Africa. She found like the whole experience really cool and new and fresh and uh, a learning experience. That's the phrase I'm looking for there. But everyone else just fucking hated it. And uh, Houston kept them there longer than he said he was going to. And like the week they said everyone was going home, he's like, well, we got to stay another week. <laughs> Hear me out. There's this whole scene. <laughs> The whole sequence where they get lost in the weeds. I, I can't remember exactly it, but like there was some story too about Catherine Hepburn demanding her own like private bathroom or private dressing room or something that they built like out of bamboo and put it on her boat that just followed behind production to the point where she's like, ah, fuck this. <laughs> but being 98%, is there the lone one or two reviews on there that dislike One. It? There's one rotten review. And then Armin there's- White? No, it's Clarissa Bowen uh, from Sight and Sound. She must have turned this in like two weeks ago. Uh, it says, John Huston's film wavers disconcertingly and a little aimlessly between life and fairy tale. I don't necessarily disagree. Uh, and then this is fresh, but it doesn't sound fresh. And it's from our friend Ken Hankey from Mountain Express, Ken. Asheville, North Carolina. He says, entertaining star vehicle but not the great film it's assumed to be. I think I'm right there with Mr. Hankey. Uh, it's good. It's a movie that I'm glad I closed a gap in my film viewing history on. Uh, I don't, I think, um, Bogey, Humphrey Bogart, because this was the movie he won his Oscar for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was Danny Kay hosted the Oscars the year that this went out. I just imagine his old dancing routine <laughs> and everything. Uh, I don't think Catherine Hepburn's acting ages well. Yes, I think uh, she was. But that's not a. Fo- I mean, it's okay, not, it's, it's it's absolutely no fault of hers. Right. It's it's just uh, her, that's that's how it was. Her yeah, theater stage uh-huh, yeah. But her acting is now what is parody of people trying to act. Right. And so when you watch something she's in now, it's it's a bit harder to take more seriously, which. I think we said something kind of similar to Jimmy Stewart when we watched a Christmas right. Story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but but it's also the way her character is written. Not a Christmas Story. Fuck. Uh, I was gonna say one life to live. Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, well, how the fuck am I blanking on this? Jimmy Stewart goes to heaven. Uh, God, we're old. That was that was our fifth episode. So you know that makes sense, but. Continue on. I'll look it up. Yeah. So, yeah, the way her character is written doesn't help. You know, she's written a very stereotypical old-timey lady. Uh, it's a wonderful way. life. Of course. Yeah. Of course it is. Um, in, in, and so, in addition to just the style of acting, it's just how just disconnected from our world this this character is. You know, she's just so uptight to the point of caricature. And I, and I saw some reviews calling it a comedy, but I don't know. I've seen it twice now. It doesn't really strike me as a comedy. I guess at the time, some of the things have been funny, like the mosquito I mean, attack, the leeches. The... Oh, dude, the leeches are not supposed to be. I, I thought that's one of the – that was a, a moment where I actually felt for fell for uh, – Bogey? Bogey. Like, he seems like he's in real pain. Uh but, I mean, it has funny moments or at least times where it's trying to be funny. The things I laughed at were probably, the you know, my cynical sense of humor, dark sense of humor. Like, how nonchalant Bogart is about her brother dying. <laughs> well, better bury him. Yeah, I don't think that's meant to be a comedy. <laughs> but um, to your point, too, all the things you're saying, and especially with how 
the industry works now, and especially for our lifetimes, uh, they aren't the most too attractive people in the world. So I'm not like rooting for them romantically to like shack up. <laughs> well, I would if they had chemistry. That's I wasn't kidding. Contreras Corner. I think that they seem like they're acting in two different movies. Yeah, and and I really I did not buy it. I mean, it's just so passionless and it's not that i actually wanted him to have sex or anything no. but but it just feels you know even though she's a missionary it feels a little too chaste and it, it just i don't know they're going through such an extreme experience mm-hmm. that i would i would expect to see a little more fire in that you know those declarations of love and whatever the things i enjoyed about it most are do not revolve around their acting i thought humphrey bogart was really good but again similar to Catherine hepburn just based like his performance has aged a little bit better but it's still the same thing of just like that acting yeah it's just more entertaining yes um but i thought the cinematography was great we we said we disagree on the score but i thought like that was pretty intense actually going to africa in the fucking early 50s to film this shit like you know this is before the days of eli roth and uh the green inferno so (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's when it we do these good. really old movies too. We also have to just step back and put it in the context of. There's people that are listening to this for the first time that are just fucking aghast <laughs> right? at what we're saying. How fucking dare you? And I was like, listen, I understand. 1951. I go to the movies. I see this. My mind is blown. Exactly. And Bogart is one of the biggest stars. Hepburn is one of the biggest stars. They're off. I don't care if they don't have chemistry. I just love that they're on this epic adventure and they beat the Germans. And the problem is, and this is the same way with like music and so many things. It's like it's been done better since then. So it's hard to like forget that part of it. Like I can't. I can't go into it with a 1951 brain as much as I want to. Right. I can forgive it, the special effects and all that stuff. I mean, that was just me being silly. What was I talking corner. about? Like, Bonnie and Clyde. That's a movie that, like, I watch and I'm like, holy fuck. And then I think about watching it, like, 19 fucking 67 or whatever. I was like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> this is, like, kind of the inverse of something that was very good at the time, but to me, doesn't necessarily age well. I understand how a purist would be like, you're an idiot for saying that. but <laughs> Well, but that's... I mean, can't hide who we are. Yeah. That's just, that's, it doesn't work as well now as I think it worked back then. Uh, it's, I mean, I was fine. I watched it, you know, and it was great, but I enjoyed it thoroughly. Going back to the, the, the thesis of our podcast, when you see 100% movie or now 98% movie and you watch this, you know, it's, if you're, if you're reading that tomato meter the wrong way, if you're, if you're taking the wrong thing out of that percentage, you would feel let down. It could also be the specific time period in film is what, like that time period after, you know, the talkies came in. Cause I'm thinking of movies we've done on both sides of this, like bookending, like uh, modern times is 100%. And I fucking could watch that movie a hundred oh, yeah. times yeah, 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 yeah. because it is different. And then when the whole talking and color and everything came into the equation, it's clear that it was still a new toy and people, you know, had to project that and, you know, make yeah. the most of it. So, you know, funnily enough, modern times also has a gastrointestinal joke that we weren't crazy about. Remember? That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I was thinking about this earlier today. There's this Instagram account I follow where this guy gets hit in the balls every Sunday. It's called swing to the sack Sunday. And like, 
that that's funny in any language <laughs> someone getting hit in the nuts is hilarious to me gastrointestinal jokes not so much it's <laughs> gross yeah <laughs> like a guy getting hit in the nuts i understand it it's funny but you know i don't want to hear his stomach growling or the whole crux of it um so it could just be that this particular era in film is one of those things that's kind of always going to not have an asterisk next to it, but not maybe age as well as things before it or after it. Because there's movies I think we've done from the 60s and stuff, too, that uh, we agreed. Yeah. Well, I think that sometimes something that might help make it transcendent is what is the movie ultimately saying? And unfortunately, The African Queen is just kind of an adventure movie that's not really digging deep anywhere yeah it's it, it was no surprise to me when we first started talking about it and i did my research it's based on a book mm. yeah that would be a fun book it, and things that like images you can write with words are a lot different than actually putting it to film so i'm sure it'd be much more enjoyable to read about the mosquito attack than actually watching it in you know practicality and or maybe out. even get in the head of the Catherine hepburn character and then you know, maybe she seems a little more human, more relatable when you're hearing her internal monologue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's a difficult thing to kind of talk about because it is, in terms of, like I just said, there's so many people that could listen to this and just dramatically eye roll at what we're saying about you got to put yourself in that time period. And some things age well and some things don't. It's just how it is. And it will happen to all of us. <laughs> I, there are things that I can absolutely appreciate about this movie. Like I said, I think it looks great, and I think uh, I, I enjoy the score. But just to me, and it could be Kristen Wiig's impression that's killed Catherine Hepburn forever for me. <laughs> but I, I just feel some of her performances don't age particularly well. She gets the thankless role. Bogey gets the the crowd pleasing role. Oh yeah, he got all the glory. She got nominated. Um, yeah. It didn't get nominated for Best Picture, but I know they both got nominated for acting. Now, all that said, she does play, you know, what you now would call a, a sort of strong female character because, you know, she she doesn't take shit from him. Um, Which, again, would have been pretty um, ballsy for the time. Yeah, and, and she kind of – she's the brains of the operation the, through the entire movie. I'm looking back through our – uh, past episodes just to see anything we've done that could potentially be comparable. And I will say I much prefer her performance in this to JLo and the boy next door. <laughs> I will say that. I mean, similar canvas. <laughs> uh, JLo had more, uh, more chemistry with, uh, Oh God, whatever that guy's name was. JLo had way more intention of just getting naked throughout the film. Yeah. That whenever I watch movies from the time period, uh, of this obviously this was based uh about a decade prior more than that but um just how people lived like i, <laughs> I watched this and then i also put my mind and in, in the person who went to something like this you didn't come out of the theater and tweet about it like <laughs> you talk to your family about it yeah. your friends if you're lucky and then you know they may hear about it six months later or whatnot but but then also the movie would be playing six months later yeah I also have such a ma- massive infatuation with uh, theater art from this time period. Like the poster for this is so fucking cool. It it looks more like a like it's gonna be like a really intense like action movie, which it's not. But it also says colored by Technicolor, which yeah, Chef's kiss. Um, no movies like this, I welcome all of these we can do for this podcast, just because it does help me close certain gaps in my film viewing. 
that's how I felt when I when I watched it the first time. Uh, it was back on Netflix. It showed up, and I was like, "All right, let's 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 put this one to sleep." And I watched, it and I was like, "Not crazy about it, but I'm glad I watched it. I can see why it was great at the time. I think it's watchable now. Mm-hmm. Bogart is great. Hepburn is great. You know, it's just that they their styles are just you know. And I feel I would hate for anyone listening to this think we're ragging on it. It's not a case of it. It's fine for what it is. It's just things have evolved since then that make it seem kind of disjointed. No, there are people who actually are very much still into that aesthetic, like the classics aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's great. I, I can't do it. you know. I, but I know that there are people that swear by the, the old-timey aesthetic and you know that's what they do. You do. They'd rather go back to the classics than watch whatever just came out this weekend. Sometimes I can't blame them, but... You know, yeah, I was about to say I'm I'm gonna withdraw from that conversation. I think. <laughs> uh, or whatever came out on Netflix this week. Jesus, yeah, I mean, it did used to be better. I, I, that's <laughs> there's no denying that. But again, um, the double feature of Daffodil Queen a, and the Dirt <laughs> for a longer uh, episode, a more thorough one. The next one we do from this era, I might more flush out my thesis about from this particular time how movies prior to and after have aged better than this particular era of film, because I do think it is this preyed way more on being as dramatic and over the top as you could, because you could be. Um, But again, glad we did it. We are at 55 minutes, my friend. We're, we're nailing this. Nice. I feel like we really uh, steamrolled through the, the real talk, but I think we all just had, or both of us had our feelings just on the tip of our tongue ready to go. Yes. we've uh, um, Just to give you a little peek behind the scenes, we watched uh, The African Queen separately, mm-hmm. uh, and then we came together to watch um, the next bonus episode, London. Uh, and as soon as we're done recording this one, we're going to record the London episode. Now you want to talk about chemistry. <laughs> We'll talk about that in London. Oh, yeah. That might be the one thing that movie has going for it. (laughs) Uh, But that was The African Queen. Again, if this is your first time listening to our podcast and you like this kind of – if you swear by the classics, as Julio said, go visit our Modern Times episode. And I I know we have several in there. uh, You'll hear us swear by that classic. Yeah, exactly. We we stand wholeheartedly by the 100% that that one has. Unless Samantha's – What's her name? Got to that one, too, and now it's at 98%. (laughs) (laughs) Who fucking knows? Um, But that's going to wrap up this uh, bonus episode uh, centered around the African Queen. Quick shout-out, of course, as always, the festive years for providing our opening and closing tracks and also the creator of our logo, Hans Roth Geeser. Does he have a website? He he has a Twitter. Uh, He's at Mildemonios. M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S. He also has an email address, mildemonios at hotmail.com. He has a podcast, Nación Combi. Uh, He talks about Peruvian politics. Did I say his name right again? Yes, you did. Fuck yeah. You got this. You don't need me anymore. (laughs) Just kind of (laughs) like turn my mic off after we finish Real Talk and leave you with plugs. All right. So that was part one of our bonus episodes uh, on the road to the cure. Uh, so be sure to turn into part two we'll talk about London and we'll announce which movie we'll be doing uh, at the actual live stream a movie incredibly similar to the African Queen (laughs) but thank you for joining us on The Contrarians where we are right and you are wrong and we will catch you next time that summer of 1960